Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're, discuss- we're discussing Jim Hawkins, Long John Silver, and the Muppets from Muppet Treasure Island. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest, Charlie Keeks. Welcome back, Charlie. Hi, great to be here. And uh, Producer Andrew, you are a huge fan of Muppet Treasure Island, so I believe you'll be jumping in on this discussion. I will. I rewatched it special, even though I didn't need to, but it was worth it. Well, I think we're going to go off the rails a little bit when we talk about how we came to it and kind of our own, you know, each one of our relationships with the Muppet franchise. But before we do that, Muppet Treasure Island is a loose adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's 1883 novel. It was the film was released in 1996 and it was written by Jerry Jewell, Kirk R. Thatcher and James V. Hart and directed by Brian Henson. And it starred Tim Curry as Long John Silver. Kevin Bishop as Jim Hawkins, and it had Dave Goles, Steve Whitmire, Jerry Nelson, Frank Oz, and Kevin Clash in various Muppet roles, uh, and you know a few other Muppet performers. But that's pretty much pretty much your cast, right there. I mean, a few a few other people here and there. All right. So now, before we even do the trivia, let's just let it go. Uh, Charlie, do you remember <laughs> how you came to this, and what is your relationship with the Muppets franchise? Yeah. Well, this film came out in 1996, right? Yes. So I was eight. We were living in an apartment. My parents were young, not a lot of money or anything, but we had it was peak VHS. Right. So I just feel like this is one that me and my younger siblings just watched religiously. I feel like this is just one of those like defining movies of an era for a certain wave of millennials who were young, who were children in the late 90s. So I don't think I saw in theaters. I remember seeing other films such as say Mulan in the theater mm-hmm. I found the humor of the three original Muppet movies like a little bit adult this is definitely meant for kids so I think it really spoke to me as a kid at that time so yes I remember you know re-watching as an adult you know maybe six or seven years ago and it's still delighting me and I feel like I can quote the whole movie so I'm guessing it was one of those VHS's where we Wore out the tape at home. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think there is a, a difference between those first three. Like you said, it's a little more. Dull. I, I think it's a little more. Um, like there, there's a melancholy, and a, I think a little more emotionality about those. Whereas this one's just a lot of manic energy. <laughs> I think is being thrown against the wall, and there, there's definitely a difference there um, but between the the tone of those Muppet movies. Uh, Andrew, do you remember your your first time seeing Muppet Treasure Island? Uh, I don't remember the first time. So I would have been six when it came out, probably seven when we had the DVD. Um, VHS, I mean, six or mean? seven. Or, yeah, wow, VHS. fancy. Yeah. Uh, we didn't we have a DVD of this. I don't, <laughs> know if they ever produced a, I don't know if they produced a DVD of this, but um, when you, I, I feel really embarrassed about like mislabeling that because when you said peak VHS, I was like, yeah, that's the, t- that's the good times, right? <laughs> like that is the moment. Like I remember the shelves and the VHS copies, and we had to, we got like a special rewinding device. Oh, wow. To rewind the tapes at some point. We probably, honestly, never, we probably had two of them. Had, you know, <laughs> that you, uh, you pop out of the VHS and, and rewind it. And if you're, 
He's just rather to, than like, just using spot, the VCR. Guess, like, yeah, trying to guess where where. OK, am I halfway through or <laughs> like if you've got your TV recorded VHSs that have three movies on them, the, the yeah. fun game of the, 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 the spool there looks a third of the way. I'm going to stop now. But <laughs> that but that peak VHS moment, I was like, yeah, I've got some memories there. And Muppet Treasure Island's one of those. I also remember it specifically because it was considered a Sunday movie. <laughs> Because it Wait, was because it was lit because it was literary. Who's no, like... because it was literary. It's literary mm. fiction. I um, don't I, I think we had like a little more I don't know, it depended on like who was in charge. You know, do we change it to our sweatpants or stay in Sunday clothes? I feel like our like media consumption is a little a little stricter. That's that's what I definitely mm-hmm. want to talk about is this story but, is definitely about Jim Hawkins. Being mm-hmm. thrust into a very like not quote unquote family friendly world <laughs> <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, yes, know. What... I, I don't know if we had as strict a delineation. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it a um, you know, like light, like faith promoting fair. <laughs> it's, it's no, it's it has its dark moments, and, and, and I like, like that as an adult, I guess. But yeah, I don't know what like the delineation was for for Sunday movies, like Sunday approved media, because. Like it's a it's a hazardous distinction. I was like, I guess it was like high art versus low art, which is something that Joseph and I both like. <laughs> like that's that's a well, very also, hairy distinction to get into. To be high art though, so oh, I no, know it's like, that. but somehow yeah, like I, it's I, I literary, like so it counts. Go on your um uh, aspirational shelf, like it's <laughs> yeah. it's YA. I mean, you can like yeah. get through it in a few hours. So. But it's like things like that's this or or Little Women or Fantasia, like counted as more suitable for whatever reason and so i gotta watch it a bunch because i was like all right like this one's allowed so (laughs) i'm gonna watch it while mom and dad take a nap um without ever really realizing it's like they're taking a nap they don't know anyway but but trying to cover your bases um so i watched it a bunch like that and i'd say like this is definitely the muppet movie i've seen the most um same here like I can say that with far. a lot of confidence. Oh, it's, it's here, not for yes. me. And I think it's because oh, I'm just a little bit older. Yes. Um, so <laughs> the, the original trilogy was more available in my childhood. And then I've probably seen Muppet Christmas Carol the most just because that's what it was thrown on. But it was a peak on. VHS. We only we, we didn't have like the good copies of the original trilogy. Right. But we had well, I, oh, Andrew, my peak VHS was a lot of, uh, you know, here's what, four what, movies on, on the super, you know, the extra what, long was, play was the white labels on <laughs> yes. the side of With the box. Saying, that, here's that was what, my here's what this is <laughs> my peak VHS. And, and I think I we had all three you're, Muppet movies on one you're of those. more of like a Stranger Things generation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. And, and I remember probably you, Joseph, like having me watch the original Muppet movies, like maybe mm-hmm. mom put it on sometimes when when I was like still not in kindergarten or something. Yeah. Um, and, but it, they just don't have like any real significant resonance for me. Mm-hmm. This is, this is one of the Muppet movies that does Muppet Christmas Carol also does um, a great Muppet caper out of the first three. Like I remember chunks of that, something about that yeah. one like worked, but the other two, like I've got nothing. Yeah. I, I like a uh, great Muppet caper. It's my favorite of those three. So the Muppets for me, like it's one of those uh, similar to what, Charlie was like, like, it's just always there, right? You know, it's it's mm-hmm. just uh, yeah. a presence uh, in, in pop culture and in my pop culture consumption. But it has a special resonance for me because I remember in English when we had to write our big in high school, we had to write our first big um, research paper. And um, 
the teacher, uh, Mrs. Gessel, had left it kind of open-ended, but you had to get it approved. And I didn't know. And, like, you had to have, like, the reason why your thing was significant. And I'm like, I, would, I, I just want to do the Muppets. I want to write about the Muppets. And everyone else was, like, doing diseases and, and you know, you know natural, you know, uh, events, you know, all, the, all these things. Uh, and I'm like, I'm just going to do the Muppets. And I remember, like, writing, like, some, like twist like like i was kind of forming a logic pretzel i think to explain why the muppets matter and all she wrote was of course you can do the muppets don't be ridiculous <laughs> and that was like well, my first the muppets have an interesting genesis i was reading about this before mm-hmm. we even decided to do this episode and i was kind of surprised yeah it, like it it's is... a story that would never happen today is basically my conclusion yeah and, and my kids now have um the, there's brad Meltzer and chris eliopoulos do the uh, ordinary people change the world book series that is delightful for young kids and they have one on jim henson so i've read that origin story to them several nights um <laughs> of of that but we we can get to that in just a second but um be, because of that high school paper i think it kind of sent me on the course to like an academic career writing about american pop culture i think that like, is one of my genesis events <laughs> of um that's incredible that's of awesome. ending up you know, getting a PhD, writing about the X-Men uh, and, and for, for, for my dissertation. Um, so I, I have a love of the Muppets. Um, I, and we put it in the trivia. Let me just read this off. So this is the fifth of eight Muppet films produced. And obviously there's the TV shows and the, the TV movies even, and other things, but of the like theatrical really films, there have been eight. Uh, there were the three Muppet films that were made when Jim Henson was alive. Then his son, Brian Henson directed uh, two adaptations, Christmas Carol and Treasure Island. And then there have been the three Muppet movies films since then. Uh, there was Muppets from space and then the Muppets and the Muppets most wanted. And you put a note in our script here, Charlie, about like, how do you think this stacks up in the canon? It sounds like for you two, this one is pretty top tier. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely the one I've rewatched the most. I feel like it held up when I rewatched it. The other one I remember enjoying was, I think the one just called The Muppets with the guy mm-hmm. from Flight to the Concords. Yes. Muppet yeah. of a Man. I, with I the feel Muppet, like that yeah. one. Am I a Muppet yeah, or a Man? Is yeah. one of the great Manor, songs. Manor Muppet is real solid. Yeah, that is. It really is. Yeah. It, it, so, it, that is a top tier Muppet moment, period. Like if you're just songs, exercising little, little things, that's got to be in the list. I, I think that it really was a golden age of movie musicals. You know, this is released the same year as many of these uh, Disney films, which, of course, later acquired the Muppets. But yeah, I mean, I still can sing We've Got Cabin Fever. Ha! Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that that helps to solidify it as a real emotional high point. And I Mm -hmm. think it... I Don't quote me on this, I guess, about research, but I feel like it might be the Muppet movie with the most original songs. So I think that... I, I would guess that you're right. Wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, so it's to me, Christmas yeah, Carol, I, I think, right? I just love. Um, the Muppets has like five songs. Yeah. Yeah. I, so yeah. it, I, it, you know, one of those three, it has the most. Um, I've got to say, I'm, like, I'm looking at the list of Muppet movies and like looking at all eight of them. I'm like, there's really only two tiers of Muppet movies for me. There's the really, really good ones and the ones that I just don't care about ever watching again. <laughs> So, so it's not like, like it's, it's, there's it's like the great and the real good. good. It's the the real good like, and that that exists. Th- this is real good, and I will think about it at least monthly, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> or this just has really? no bearing like, on my soul. Like in terms I, I of think, quoting it, or just like its emotional impact. What? What? Uh, I mean, that's a probably pretty more strong, like strong like love right there. Probably like more like quoting it, or some image from it will pop into my mind. Um, and I mean, like the Muppets. I mean, it has one of my favorite stunts and I know it's like 
it's a fake stunt, but in my mind, it's amazing where a man in a white tuxedo riding a horse across a stage jumps off and goes into a knee slide proposal. <laughs> it's just a great moment. Um, and I know it's all like faked and there's a cut in there, but it looks amazing in the in the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is your top tier? What, what is in that first tier of the, the for, eight? For me, it's the Muppets, Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol. I'd probably put the Great Muppet Caper in, but I'm not I just don't know if I watched it enough to like really like settle it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other ones just really don't have much for me. Like there's just very little that I'm like. Uh, is the Muppet movie the road trip one or is that Muppets take Manhattan? I'm not sure which is the one where Kermit gets amnesia. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so like I like I can't like What's the one restructure where they're them. skating through Central Park. I remember or, that. Or they bike through Central the, Park. The biking through Central Park. And that is oh, just wow. Well, one of my favorite things about the Muppets is those moments where and and to a degree this has been ruined a bit by like green screen, but where you're just like how are they doing this? Like actually like stopping to think about what is you, you, like the actual like physical mechanics of getting this shot look like? <laughs> like where are the Muppeteers? Uh, what is going on? And the, and the Muppets biking through um, uh, New York uh, is I is one like of those. The, and it was a giant have... uh, marionette, you know, thing that they they built where like the wires are way up above and all these other things. Like yeah, there's there's lots of I love the behind the scenes features about Muppets, particularly like pre everyone's just in a green screen mask, like which was pretty much, I think Muppet uh, Christmas Carol on uh, a lot of stuff is just done by the Muppeteers are, are wearing green suits and, and just get removed later. And this has to do with that transition. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of interesting politics. I was not aware of at all. I mean, I knew next to nothing about Jim Henson or, you know, the, the voicing, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to me, they were just, you know, these great characters. So I think that yeah, it's definitely a, a juggernaut where um, this is definitely a phase, right? Yeah, this Muppet yeah. Treasure Island is in the second phase. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the Jim Henson more, era. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how Vegas was trying to be like family friendly and kid friendly <laughs> at this time. <laughs> so you want to remember that? You'd like go to Eminem World. It's like, oh, Vegas, so wholesome. And then it like swung back where it's like, no, this is no, like just a pit. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is now our slogan. Correct. We're just going to leave yes, that. Yes. So There's really definitely a lot of people that... with family vacation to Vegas pictures. And which is interesting because I think it comes full circle because I think late Victorian era was very similar where there was a lot of pop culture aimed at preteens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this book was you know, made it, it was, for uh... his 12-year-old stepson. So yeah. I think it kind of... It's interesting that Andrew and I were preteens and it really spoke to us. And we were market, yeah, we, you know, part with your money, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. Because yeah. there was a baby boom. Um, there, there were a lot of kids born in the late 80s, very early 90s. So I think you see that in culture a lot, actually. Yeah, there's the uh, the Jim Henson era of the Muppets, and then there's this Brian Henson, and then I think it's more like the Disney era is, you know, from when Disney bought it in 2004 on. That Those are kind of, I think, the lines of demarcation that people uh, see. And this is moving into, like, the, the two Brian Henson-directed films of these adaptations, which is not something that Jim Henson had done. It, it definitely is a twist and i think it's it's after we do the summary we can get into you know what's interesting about muppets as protagonists versus muppets as uh you know characters or fabric of the story rather than you know the the core part of the story um and i think there's a lot that's really interesting and successful in both versions um of the muppets 
that we get. I kind of put this, Andrew, I'm going to give three tiers. There's uh, the top okay. tier, which for me is Great Muppet Caper and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol and the Muppets. And then there's the mid tier, which has uh, the, uh, um, the the other two Jim Henson era ones and and this. Uh, and then, I don't know, like the then either at the bottom of that tier or in a different tier is Muppets from Space and uh, Muppets Most Wanted. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. the, those. Um, and I, I think... I don't know if it's just because of when, how old I was like this didn't quite have the impact, though. I do distinctly remember the documentary that the Disney Channel aired in the lead up to this film's release, because even Wait, though what? Disney had bought the Muppets, this I was do not remember that. Remember at this all. was uh, that's how, you know, you were going to be a pop culture critic. Yeah. You're like, but the documentary and, and the two things I remember were Tim Curry saying that in a first draft of the script, his shoulder lobster would always say that's not in the book anything anytime a plot point happened that wasn't in the book and he said i kind of missed that that didn't make it through all that but i i realized why i had to get cut because it would have been a very repetitious gag <laughs> to, to have going that's fairly significant throughout this film yeah and then the other thing who, is he talked about uh tim curry talked about how uh the um brace that he had to wear of when he was doing his his scenes where you'd see that he was missing a leg was was kind of painful but then he said because it's a muppet movie i don't have that many <laughs> shots that are full body shots because most muppet cinematography is chest up for your human actors <laughs> because of the nature of doing doing muppeteering and for some reason those two bits of trivia have just been ingrained in my head since 1996 wow all right uh let's let's run through some more trivia uh the muppets treasure island has a 70 percent positive rating on rotten tomatoes it made 7.9 seems million seems a little dollars. low <laughs> uh, well, I, me, I feel similarly yeah it made what's 7. the audience 9. score uh it was uh i i saw it like i think cinema score had it as like an a minus or b plus i can't remember what the rotten tomato score was um it made 7.9 million it's opening weekend and would go on to gross 34 million um and, but then i saw like it was also like a huge seller in like uh when it was released on vhs and who knows how many dvds you know but it was, was first released on vhs i think it said 5 million copies sold so just go ahead and start multiplying <laughs> dollar figures <laughs> and you'll see uh the 30 i think it had like a 30 million dollar budget i saw so i'm like that's not a huge profit on the theatrical run but you got to remember, like these things have their lives forever now, uh, and and so it's still still making money. Um, Gene Siskel, this was one thing I saw that made me chuckle. He was not a fan of the film, and in his review, he wrote, "This will be remembered as the most ignored movie of all time," <laughs> which I just thought was a little hyperbolic. <laughs> First of all, if it's going to be remembered, don't say it's going to be remembered for being ignored. <laughs> like <that's, laughs> the logic does not hold up with that. Um. And he's, Char- uh, he's just the, you know, Waldorf. Uh, <laughs> yes. He's one of the like, grumpy old men, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and Ebert wasn't a huge, he, Ebert liked it a little bit more, but said it wasn't like, he didn't like it as much as Muppet Christmas Carol. Felt like it was, it was a step down from Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, Treasure Island, the novel, uh, just its place in pop culture history. Like our idea of pirates really is coming from Robert Louis Stevenson's treasure island like it, 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 how impactful that is in terms of like the ideas of pirates having treasure maps and the x marking the spot and pirates having parrots that squawk words and one-legged you know pirate captains all these things are, are really rooted in treasure island uh both like I mean, codifying I mean, and popularizing this this conceit i mean i know of a pretty famous one-legged sea captain in other literature but <laughs> right but as, as a pirate captain <laughs> right, right okay if yeah. we're gonna be specific yes um 
But is he an alcoholic, Andrea? <laughs> That's what makes it fun for the kids. <laughs> uh and it is one of the like it, it gets included in like the list of like those those texts that are among the most like adapted um with oh like, yeah every What's version of pop, well, well, because every version of pop culture you get you know a new treasure island so like you know back you know for the stage and then for radio drama and then for tv and and for film uh it keeps keeps going on and one of my favorite like this is just such a random bit uh in survivor season 20 heroes versus villains they have it's in i, I think it's samoa it is but one of the rewards is they get to go visit robert louis that's Stevenson's where robert home. louis Stevenson died yeah yeah yes samoa. in samoa yep, yep. And, and so these people that win the reward there's three of them and and their reward is to go stay at this house and actually like sleep on beds but they get to watch an old black and white version of treasure island uh <laughs> in the episode so it's there but my favorite thing is that there's one player who had been like a huge fan favorite his first season but he seems a little checked out this whole time on this on this return season because it's all returning players and the two other people that are with him like get in a fight over a clue to an immunity idol for the game of survivor that they find in the popcorn while they're eating the movie and they're like arguing about it and he's just basically saying on bed like i'm trying to watch treasure island will you two stop arguing like he could not care it seems <laughs> about the game of survivor that's worth a million dollars because he's watching <laughs> treasure island <laughs> Fair trade-off. Fair. <laughs> if it was Muppet like, Treasure Island, then like... It finally cuts him like sitting up and he's just like, okay, you found it first. It's yours. <laughs> and then he's like, goes back to the movie. <laughs> um, the Muppets, uh, we, we somehow we have not done a full like Muppet episode of the Protagonist Podcast. We've covered uh, several Jim Henson, uh, Jim Henson things, uh, particularly around Christmas. We've done uh, Christmas Eve on Sesame Street with Big Bird and we did uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. But we haven't done an actual... Have, haven't done the Muppet Family the, Christmas is yet. This, is this in the family of your horrifying camel thing that you voted for in the Christmas? <laughs> you can you can edit this out, but I'm still uh, I'm trying to remember traumatized by those camels with the raisins. Oh, the California oh. Raisins Christmas <laughs> special. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> is that's claymation? That's right? the that's claymation Christmas. Yeah, that's okay. the, cla- yeah. the California Raisins claymation Christmas. <laughs> I just want to say I'm I'm still not okay with that. But <laughs> anywho, but I was gonna say Joseph, we got to cover uh, Muppet Family Christmas one year. Yeah, Muppet Family Christmas I think is my favorite Muppet piece ever. The, the, oh, you wow. know, of of all of the Jim Henson, but I, and in part, but it, it includes the Fraggles and Sesame Street and Sesame Street. And wow. in the last shot, you have Jim Henson standing with his like Jim Henson is in the last shot. He actually let himself oh. be in a a muppet thing which he generally avoided uh doing and that one i think it, it's got my favorite gags my favorite storyline and it has all of the jim henson stuff in one place even muppet babies uh are, are in it briefly um so yeah muppet muppet family christmas is the top tier muppet stuff but uh charlie you were mentioning a little bit of, like jim henson start like he started in 1955 but he started as like a public access show they, they were mm-hmm. looking for like a kid show and he's like i do puppets he didn't really yet <laughs> <laughs> he just said, I do puppets. And he he uh, like talked his way into getting a public access. Yeah, he uh, kind of yeah. roped her into it, right? That's yeah. my understanding. And then they started having a bunch of kids. I feel like she was a little bit sidelined, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting, of course, that, you know, the story uh, mm-hmm. with Treasure Island, you know, kind of, I think, uh, men came to dominate it, even though the creator of Sesame Street was a woman. I do feel like the Muppet franchise, as we were saying, very beginning uh, 
Yeah, it seems pretty. It's like very boomer, I guess. <laughs> you could say it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, just, just I want to go do this thing and I'm going to go, uh, you know, say, hey, here's my resume, whether or not it's true, uh, and get the <laughs> job. so true, right? <laughs> Who does that? Who walks into a public? If I just like went and was like, Doug Fabrizio, give me a job. He'd be like, security? <laughs> yeah. uh, but he floated around, like after that public access, he floated around doing some um, advertising campaigns for some companies. And then he uh, did a lot lot of like late night bits uh for like every every you know well every the three tv stations all had late night hosts and he wow. um uh started like doing bits adult there. focused or more child no like um like if you've seen like the menomena you know the the muppets singing the menomena song uh mm-hmm. that that was just like uh five minutes on a late night show well like i've got a skit <laughs> and it was just that where, where like the late night shows were like a little bit more variety show ish mm-hmm. than they are now yeah a little bit more Uh, But even like, uh, I think it was, who was it? I'm trying to remember who it was, but uh, they still have a, uh, at, in the NBC, where where NBC films their late night shows, um, in one of their, yeah, I think it's at 30 Rock, uh, there is like a steam pipe room like just a little uh you know closet and jim henson like decorated it when he was bored uh waiting to go on like w- like turned all the steampunk valves into faces and stuff and they've left it like it's still there as far as oh, i know wow. cool. um let's see so uh other history so some muppets start in 1955 disney purchased the muppets in 2004 uh and still seems to be like searching for what they want to do with them in my mind Every three years, we should get a Muppet movie, and it should alternate between an adaptation with Muppet characters and human actors, and then a a Muppet centric film. Just we're alternating back and forth. <laughs> that that would be my ideal world. And if anyone wants to put me in charge of that, I will take over. Uh, I think that sounds that sounds pretty fair. I think that gives them a bounce because it seems like when they try to do like direct runs of interconnected stuff, it seems like it doesn't work out. You know, like the more contiguous they try to make it the less effective it's going no, to be. Um, like, I don't really like want chaos a, I don't want a sequel. And does its thing. Yeah, they just drop in, it's chaotic, and then you move on. And you don't even like really remember the plot, which we'll talk about with the Mepo Treasure Island plot. <laughs> like, it gets a little crazy <laughs> when I trying to write the summary in the last act. Like, what is yes. going on in this last act? If I actually have to write it down. <laughs> I also feel like the, the most recent, like, Muppet... I don't know, franchise work, the, you know, the, the work that they've done with it recently is really heavy on the Muppet show. Mm-hmm. which is only like that is not going to appeal to everyone. Like the Muppet show means less than the Muppet movie to me. Wow, the, that's like a the variety, right the variety then. show one. Yeah, because like, because the Muppet show, like, just I didn't watch the show. Like I, was, I, was, I, I think like, it's just, they just finally got the rights all sorted out to put it on Disney plus. That's why you've seen a big push for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but no, but like, like the Muppets was like, these guys had the Muppet show. I'm like, I don't care about the Muppet show. I never watched the Muppet show. Right. See, the Muppet show would come higher in my ranking. I feel like my parents grew up with it. So whenever it was on, I, mean, I didn't necessarily catch everything. I wasn't familiar with 70s pop culture per se, mm-hmm. but I feel like I liked 70s reruns in general. So, uh, yeah, for me, top tier up there with Muppet Treasure Island would be, especially starting with season two. I think like a lot of TV, it takes a minute to find its footing, but there's some classics. I think Andrew needs to go to Disney Plus, (laughs) start with season two and just like see what made the Muppet show great. And part of me just like kind of wonders is like, is it is it just like a generational thing where it's like, I didn't know there was a Muppet show probably Wait, until I was a teenager. 
like, I think, like, right, the I think mind, like, I'm feeling like I let you down as an old brother <laughs> yes, who wrote so, a, a sure. research paper on the Muppets in high school. <laughs> but like, like, how was I going to watch it if my parents didn't buy the VHS? Yeah, yeah. And so well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't even available on VHS. Like you had to yeah, like, caught, so, like, like family channel reruns, I think, or yeah. something like and that. So, like, like barely, I <laughs> could have been like, a little bit aware of it. But, <laughs> but like, I'm thinking it's like, I'm sure there's a lot of people my age who watched the Muppets and they're like, why, why do they keep talking about them as like TV stars? Muppets are in movies. <laughs> and like, and so that's how I grew up was like, yeah, Muppets are in movies. Like, and then Muppet Babies is TV. Mm. Okay. And so like the Muppets as TV me, personalities, does it, like, like, it wasn't a thing. It's like the Scooby, um, younger yeah yeah scrappy just like scrappy and muppet babies could disappear and i'd be fine i mean i watched well, I love it the, i love really? the muppet babies uh, my kids yeah, like everything it, everything i remember from it disney has been doing a new cgi muppet babies that has helped be like the uh you know the the gateway drug for my kids into muppets um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Well, uh, well, you should start being a pusher for the OG <laughs> well, Oh, they watched Mother Treasure Island with me. Uh, they, oh, they gotta watch it, so. Did uh, you notice if the, your sons or daughters, the, the story Treasure Island seems to be very impactful for boys, especially as a woman. I'm interested if you notice a difference. Well, my daughter actually was out. She had to go get uh, something. And so she was she was out. So it was just me and my three boys. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> watch it. And I will say my my eight year old was not as into it as my my six year old was probably the most invested in what was going on. My eight year old just wanted to look at his Pokemon cards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, it is 1996. You just went into a time machine. <laughs> And uh, my my four year old was was in and out uh, depending on the moment uh, and and how manic what was going on like the more manic it got the more invested he was in watching what was on screen <laughs> it seemed so he really liked the final act um one last uh, or two two last bits of trivia Hans Zimmer wrote this music and he his pirate themes definitely carried over into subsequent work on Pirates of the Caribbean like you can sense a little bit of the uh, the DNA of his pirate themes here. Uh, and then uh, there was a spam lawsuit. Hormel, the makers of spam, sued Muppets for this film. Do you know why? For, because one of the characters is named Spam. Yes, exactly. The, oh, the, wow. The, yeah. the, 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 the big chieftain. <laughs> That's great. And uh, it got thrown out. And the judge, in his uh, throwing it out, wrote something along the lines of, you'd think your product would do well to be associated with actual pork. <laughs> <laughs> I love me as I love me a sassy judge. That's great. Yes, this was definitely one of those. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah, every now and then you get those like when uh, someone sues Taylor Swift and the judge like writes their their rebuttal or where it gets thrown out. You mean, you Taylor mean you Swift don't lyrics. think a Spanish fork third tier amusement park is high stakes show? I mean, yeah. this is like the lawsuit no, no. of the century. To, to be fair, it's closer to American Fork and Pleasant Grove. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> We've lost a fair percentage Objection. of our audience. I was like, that's, a, that's some deep cuts for, for a local audience. Just, no kidding. Th- there was a, a local, uh, I don't even know what it is, but they sued Taylor Swift and it was stupid. Amusement park would be uh, the closest. Thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. 
before we move on to the summary of this uh, this film, we want to thank you for downloading uh, this episode, and we especially want to thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we have been consuming that we are not covering yet as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to the summary, which begins very straightforward, and then I... Like the wheels came off as I tried to write the last part of this film. <laughs> so we begin with Jim Hawkins, who is an orphan working at a tavern with his friends, Gonzo and Rizzo, a regular of this tavern. Billy Bones tells tales about a pirate and his buried treasure and a secret map to that treasure. A blind Muppet gives Billy the black spot, which means pirates will be coming to kill him. Before the pirates get there, Billy tells Jim where the map is hidden in his belongings, and then he dies of a heart attack. I thought this was a kid's movie. Uh, The pirates come looking for Billy, uh, but Jim, uh, Gonzo, and Rizzo escape and go find a ship owner who, I'm just going to say Fozzie. I'm just going to give them Muppet names. They all have different names for the movie, but for you to be able to visualize this, I'm just going to say their Muppet names. They go find Fozzie, who's going to fund their quest for the treasure. Fozzie is struggling in this film. <laughs> he has a little man who lives in his finger who tells him what to do. Uh, Kermit is the captain of the ship that Fozzie has, and Sam Eagle is the first mate. The cook is a friendly chap named Long John Silver. The ship sets sail, but at a roll call of the hired crew, Kermit becomes suspicious that they may have some ne'er-do-wells on board. <laughs> the, the roll call, call is one of my high points for this film. It's amazing. Uh, Gonzo and Rizzo are kidnapped and tortured, as only Muppets can be, like uh, kid-friendly torturing. Uh, and they're tortured for information about the map. Uh, uh, but then the three crewmen who uh, were secretly pirates and had kidnapped them, they get caught and are locked up in the brig. Jim and Kermit decide the map should be locked up and the first mate keeps the keys uh, to that. Long John Silver turns out to have been the leader of the pirates. He tricks Sam Eagle into giving him the keys and sets Sam Eagle afloat in a rowboat. This is another high point. I love this, this sequence. Uh, then uh, Long John Silver says, says that Sam fell overboard and during the captain's memorial service for him the pirates steal the map jim discovers long john silver is evil and what his plans are and he goes to tell the captain as they approach treasure island the captain orders all the crew except for the officers and jim and his pals to go to the island he plans to leave so he's, he's trying to say all the pirates essentially i don't know your pirates wing like you all go to the island with your map uh but then he's just going to leave them for a year and then come back and see how they're doing <laughs> is his plan <laughs> Uh, but Long John Silver kidnaps Jim before he leaves the boat so that, uh, you know, the ship can't go anywhere. And now is where it's going to get a little chaotic to summarize. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> this is fair. This is where it gets a little loose. Yes. Kermit, Gonzo, Rizzo head to the island to save Jim. More secret pirates on the ship take the ship over once uh, the captain has gone. When Kermit lands on the island, a tribe of pigs capture him, but the leader of the tribe is his jilted ex-girlfriend, Miss Piggy. The pirates find the treasure, and but then they mutiny against Long John Silver, their leader. Silver lets Jim escape because he does like the boy, but then he monologues to the mutineering pirates and so that they're loyal to him again. Miss Piggy has Kermit and friends let go, uh, but then the pirates capture Kermit and Miss Piggy and hang them over a cliff. The ship is reclaimed by the good guy, including Sam Eagle, who is back, uh, and maneuvered under the cliff to catch Kermit and Piggy. And this is before the large-scale chaotic fight ensues, <laughs> which, <laughs> at the end of which, Long John Silver rows away in a leaky rowboat, uh, and it, that's going to start sinking while the ship then sails off into the sunset. So eventually we know Long John Silver is probably alive on the island and stranded, and everyone else is happily on the ship. The end. And then some rat scuba dives could get the treasure that was lost to the bottom of the ocean uh, during the credits. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you totally skipped the side hustle of the rat 
sightseeing cruise. <laughs> yeah, the the cruise Rizzo, yes, doing doing a cruise line. Uh, felt felt like a like a multi level marketing push. <laughs> yes, happening. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, Rizzo and Gonzo are definitely the comic relief, but they are somewhat shoehorned into the main storyline. I would say. <laughs> yes, they're just pals that get swept along. Apparently, a ridge uh, in one of the earlier drafts of the script. Uh, Gonzo was going to play Jim and Rizzo was going to play Hawkins. No, no. <laughs> and there was no human. Oh, no, no. There was no, no human involved. I, I think that would be a mistake. Frankly. Yeah. Yes. I, Gonzo should never, I, and this is a lesson that was not learned before they made Muppets from Space. He should not be the centerpiece of the Muppets. He should be the wild side adventure that's yeah. going on, is whatever's going I mean, on with Gonzo. Gonzo has a lot of charm as Charles Dickens in Muppet Christmas Carol, well, right? Well, doing, doing the listeners even know who gonzo is you know if andrew didn't know the (laughs) muppet show they might not gonzo's the the alien looking one yeah he's the one with the nose kids great great gonzo Um, was my kid's favorite uh in this film so like you said he's a little shoehorned in but i think you you need him and his energy being being mm -hmm. brought to this oh nice uh, well, I guess I should say Gonzo and then Miss Piggy during the fight scenes. That was their other favorite. Uh, <laughs> hey, she's problematic now. She's been canceled repeatedly in the past like two to three years. So this is the 90s is a better time for you know, comic violent relationships that <laughs> yes. you don't take seriously. But yes, they, they have a lot of uh, history under the bridge, uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy in this, this film. Um, so one thing I, I think it's interesting to think about when we talk about the Muppet properties and that, that we had these back-to-back films, the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, which had human like protagonists and the Muppets were the side characters versus the other Muppet films where the Muppets are the protagonists going on adventures. I, there's very different roles that the Muppets have to take. And again, I think there's strengths in both of these, whether they need to be like the, the core drivers of the story or if they're just like comedic greek choruses that are commenting on the action around them both the good guys and bad guys kind of fall into that role uh, in this the uh the muppet pirates are great uh creations but you know they're, they're not driving the plot at all it's long john silver driving that plot and jim hawkins is driving mm-hmm. the good guy side of the plot with uh you know again the the gonzo rizzo kind of forced in for for gags and commentary on the side but then if you have them as the main characters there's just a different energy i think that has to has to be given uh to, to the story and to it and i think i i really do enjoy the muppets as just able to do the breaking the fourth wall craziness zaniness um of someone else having a storyline and the muppets are just commenting on it that you get i think in a stronger way with these adaptations and that's one reason why i wish they would go back to this well a little bit more and do muppet versions of classic stories mm-hmm. i i really like it i think there's a lot of um like the the like work that the audience has to do to get into the story is taken off the Muppets shoulders. And that's nice, right? Like it's good to be able to identify with the humans and say, okay, all this other stuff is, is wacky and fun, but it's also fun to think about the Muppets as actors Mm -hmm. as well as being performed, right? Like that extra layer makes it interesting because you're like, okay, like these, these other actors have to interact with a straight face with these side characters who are (laughs) super zany. Whereas like, if the Muppets are the main characters, then it's all these cameo bits who are interacting with Muppets. Yes. Yeah. And they have to kind of like reverse things uh, a little bit. And, and I think there's space like the Muppets have been around for long enough and have done this often enough. I think there's space for both. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just wish we were getting more of both happening, actually, <laughs> more frequently. And another thing that 
I think with the Muppets, that's really interesting to think about is the kind of humor that the Muppets get away with. I think I do not appreciate as much when it's done with humans. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like it's very vaudevillian, oh, very weak, yeah. weak, nudge, nudge. And I don't know if it's because there's so much goodwill that the Muppets have created that I just like, that's great. And it's brilliant. But when like, uh, like you remember in the early 2000s, like there was the whole wave of, of movies that were just parodies of genres and like they, they weren't even trying and like, like, I just like see, scary movie. Yeah. And I'd see the trailers movie. and I just be like, like unimpressed, no laughter. And I think the Muppets do some of that same kind of humor and I love it. And I'm trying to think about why uh, I have hmm. this. Some of it I think is definitely, I have nostalgia and goodwill invested in the Muppets that I don't yeah. have it in any of the actors who are appearing in those parody films. But another part of it I think is, um, I think I appreciate the craft of Muppets doing that kind of thing more than I appreciate a human turning and winking at, at like I, I thinking about how much has to be set up for a Muppet to actually do something makes me think I, like, like I approve of that level of work for a dumb joke, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. for a Muppeteer to go yeah, and for the camera to be put and everything. And like all the chaos at the end of this film where it's just like spaghetti against the wall. And you think about it, like if, if you're doing that with, human actors then you, yes then you've you got get a, a marvel movie yeah you get, you, <laughs> in my you, opinion or, you've got a plan where like, everything is but it's I a little like different the third act is very similar to my emotional response to the end of marvel movies except <laughs> of treasure island i have nostalgia and i like the right. characters in marvel i'm like i haven't seen half of them i don't care <laughs> I, I, guess we about... kill, I guess we killed off half of humanity cool cool <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about like, again, like how you actually are making the Muppets be Muppets hmm. and all that chaos at the end of this. Like when you've got like four, you know, five different Muppets doing fight choreography. Like I just think about how much craft is actually involved in that, even if it is wow. for a stupid gag and a silly gag at the end. Did you, I, did you think, think that about maybe, that when you were watching it originally or just on revisiting? I think I've always thought about Like I, I definitely had a face hmm. when I wanted to be a Muppeteer. Like that was a life goal. Really? Okay. <laughs> at one point. Yeah, that's- <laughs> That's a Joe thing, I think. I don't think I've ever thought about the puppeteers. Not come across of. my mind much. And I've yeah. seen I, I, uh, at one conference I was at, they actually had a Muppeteer come, and uh, wow. she did Prairie Dawn from from Sesame Street, and she put on the puppet and did it, and it was amazing how immediately it's like that is. I'm now looking at Prairie Dawn, even though like I was in full view, I saw everything. <laughs> like wow. I like like the Muppeteer wasn't hiding at all. Uh, mm-hmm. She she was she wasn't down at all, but it was just immediate like life was given to the puppet and i think there's a magic in that that you see like in sesame street when they do the kids interacting with the muppets uh Mm -hmm. you know i love those moments where you can tell like these aren't child actors these are just kids who are talking to their friends uh and they're looking the muppets in the eyes and i think there's something just entrancing about the work of the muppeteers that allows me to again like give extra goodwill to silly gags that just don't do it for me in other settings I think an, another thing that like gives you some of that leniency, which which in your description of um, like those scary movies or or whatever is the the parody films, I worry that if we got too much Muppet parody, that it would start to feel like that and it would fall flat. Whereas like, okay, but Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, like two for two in these adaptations of classics, like it works really well for me, mm-hmm. and I'm worried that if they do like four of them then something's going to not click and it's going to feel forced and, and weird. Um, but I think one of the things that that adds to that goodwill that you give them is the Muppets are already taking you like one step away from reality and personhood into cartoon territory where mm. where it's like, OK, like they are in on it. 
but like the humans, generally speaking, are not right. The humans don't wink at the camera in in the Muppet movies, right? But the Muppets, at least in in like these two, right? In in Muppet Treasure Island or or Muppet Christmas Carol, right? It's like a it's like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of thing, where there's this absurd chunk of the world that only Muppets really are accessing, and then everyone else has to kind of respond to it and deal with it in a more straight faced way. I like that. I think you're, you're definitely onto something with which, which like it's cartoony, but like we don't actually have that many like humans interacting with cartoons movies. Like we probably have as many Muppet movies as Andrew. I'm going to say since we're similar age, I feel like another film that came out, I think 95, but maybe 96 or seven space jam has a huge revival. It's true. I think it's actually like one of the more inspirational, funny sports movies. I'm not into sports, so I don't care about sports mm-hmm. movies generally. But for me, Space Jam just worked. Like I had a lot of goodwill for Michael Jordan. I love the Bugs Bunny franchise, I think. There was just, some, to me, 90s movies feel very earnest in a way that some of the more recent pop culture is like a little more cynical or meta it's very hard to see some earnestness in the last <laughs> 10 years <laughs> correct yes yeah, so i think yeah, our, our younger uh listeners should go and just like be aware that like there is like actually you know, emotions played straight here you know trigger warning but uh yeah <laughs> i would say that um i just had a very similar experience but i would say a difference between space jam and treasure island is i like, really remember I watched both of them a lot, but I feel like Muppet Treasure Island has this like replay and quotability value. I think maybe because it is a classic. I, th- I think Space Jam's mm-hmm. an original story, you know, made for Michael Jordan. Uh, so yeah, do you think it was just kind of a product of its time and this kind of earnestness that's very '90s to me? <laughs> I'm 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 intrigued by like your you're mentioning like the earnestness because it it does remind me that like the last big scene in this movie is Muppet free, right? Mm. Like Jim and long John silver as, as he is escaping is like, that's just humans acting against each other and trying to decide what to do in a moment and like being at odds with each other in their objectives, but still caring about each other. And it's like, that's a really earnest, like human acting moment. And like, if you take that scene out and you don't show them the, the moment where Kermit walks into frame, like you have no idea that it's a Muppet movie. Yeah. 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 But, but like, that's the, that's the emotional core to it, right? Like they have the humans having emotions. And I think, I think that's similar with, um, with Muppet Christmas Carol is like Michael Caine is emotional, right? And the emotions, like the sincere emotions are still affecting, even though you've got all this goofy, uh, cartoony Muppet pastiche, <laughs> alongside everything where mm-hmm. Gonzo is throwing starfish out of his pants. <laughs> well, I still remember like, like Ninja uh, stars, Michael Caine saying uh, the only way he would sign on is if he could play Ebenezer Scrooge completely straight. Like he didn't want to be doing gags as Ebenezer Scrooge. And Brian Henson was like, yes, please. <laughs> that is. Do you, think, do you think that's how Tim Curry approaches long John Silver? I mean, I feel like he plays the you know, prototypical. Yeah, he's got with, like with, he, with, he, with Tim Curry Flario. It's I think yeah. it's relevant that you know he came from um 
Rocky Horror yeah. and you know, these other kind of There's a little films. more winking at the camera from Tim Curry than there's in Michael Caine. Like, Michael Caine, I don't think, ever breaks in any way. And Tim Curry does say, like, okay, what is it? Upstage Boys, this is my big number. <laughs> yeah, like, this, is my, <laughs> yes. this is my only song. Yeah, so, <laughs> so like, there's a little more number. acknowledgement from, from Tim Curry. And he but, is but I think it's. I just but I think he's very show. attractive in this film. I just want to say that right here. Like, he's like... I don't know. I think I think it's one of those things you revisit it as an adult in your 30s. You're like, wow, T- Tim Curry is like at the height of his attractiveness. So. Um, if you, if you don't know whether is... you want to watch it, just just say it. <laughs> T- Tim Curry is is like it like a prototypical handsome pirate. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I also think some of that's like the Tim Curry energy, you know, like like Michael Caine winks at the camera by playing it straight and Tim Curry winks at the camera by playing it as as Tim Curry, right? Like Tim Curry's been <laughs> Tim winking Curry, at the camera yeah. his whole career. Huh. What what other parts do you think this role kind of calls back to for him? Well, I think of Clue a lot, where it's like there's this goofy like Oh, like the manic, I'm making a the ju- manic final act. I've tried to summarize yeah. the final act of Clue and the final act of this. <laughs> they <they're> both <laughs> have Tim Curry. Yeah, so so I think of Clue quite a bit with that. And then um, Tim Curry played, uh, I mean, this would have been years later, I think, but he played um, Gomez Adams. And there's certainly kind of an Adams family. Maybe Adams family might be like the most Muppety live action thing. Well, maybe we need to go pitch to Disney. <laughs> Muppet Adams family. <laughs> Disney, go buy another property. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, I think that idea of like the the winkiness of the humans is something that's interesting. And uh, Jim Hawkins does. I'm trying to think through. I don't know this movie nearly as well as you. He never has a, a wink at the camera moment, right? I don't think so. I like he looks to Gonzo and Rizzo, and then they wink at the camera, right? And so he's like there with them when they're doing it, but I don't think he does anything directly. Jim Hawkins might be one of the most hashtag pure protagonists in terms of protagonists. I was listening to an adaptation. I was like, wow, like a boy who's a good person. (laughs) That's weird. Like, I don't know. There's just something about it that I found really compelling that I think. I I think there's something. He clearly wants more, but it's not at the expense. He's not throwing anyone under the bus. I Mm -hmm. feel like so Mm -hmm. many stories, especially of men and especially young men they can only get ahead by screwing someone else over and i really admire that about him as a character is when he has a dilemma between say loyalty and friendship or adventure and uh you know taking care of his own like it feels it feels real it feels like a real dilemma that you know he he cares i i don't know why the pendulum has swung to like men not caring, but I think yeah. that was really compelling for me. I yeah, think, in a way, like I think I think he might be. I think if you had this script today, it'd be really interesting because I just think that they might try to make him more like quote unquote like problematic or something. Like no, he's just like a good person <laughs> in in yeah, extraordinary circumstances, of course. Like like he'd be more resentful of the captain taking the map away or something, and it's like oh, mm-hmm. he doesn't like it, but he's not. He's not bitter about it. Like he doesn't expose it because he's angry about it. Like he does yeah. accidentally reveal it. And I feel like you're right. If it were modern, then he would tell Long John Silver because he's <laughs> pissed off about it. And yes, this one, it's yes. like, no, he kind of screwed up and he realizes he screwed up and he feels bad about it. Yep. <laughs> Just for when the when the, the book was written, like this was like the the height of like the Horatio Horatio Alger young mm. boy story of like being so good and moral and true. He's a Victorian 
Well, I, I, but I think this is like a start towards shifting away from just like the Horatio Otter stories are just such like moral fa- fables of like, be good, be moral, be true. Good things will happen. Work, work hard. And then yeah. the rich person's going to find you and give you all their money. And then this is like still <laughs> I think, appealing to that audience. And that's not I mean, that's not exclusive. Like, you know, you had Huckleberry Finn, you had Tom Sawyer in the same era. So I'm not saying that's the only thing, but that was a very prevalent of uh, idea of like what the book you gave a little boy was. But was I feel like Huckleberry of... Finn and Tom Sawyer in like a much more, I don't know, like their world just feels like rougher to me in a mm-hmm. weird way. Like, cause yeah. I mean, this is like pirates and alcoholics and you know, all this craziness in a way it does feel like, w- and it's so interesting to me because you know, this is 1880s and then the adaptation is 1990s. I feel like the pendulum does swing in terms of like, do we sympathize with like heroes or anti-heroes? I just feel like Jim Hawkins is a hero. Yeah. Both in well, I mean, you've, and... you, you, you've already mentioned the, the Marvel films. It's like a Captain America or or uh, Iron Man or, or you know, Superman oh, or Batman, right? Interesting. You know, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, 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 the, the big Boy Scout ones or, or the, the, you know, the outsider ones. Okay, so is he a Boy Scout or is there more complexity to Jim as a... I, well, I, th- I, I think there's an underrated complexity to being the Boy Scout. Like, and like having those moments of frustration but always choosing the right path I, th- I think that's underrated as did, far as like did, internal character did you get your conflict. eagle and so you want to like defend well no I, I did not get an eagle I only <laughs> made it I, no. I was gonna say earlier Joseph mentioned it's like well Joseph if you'd gotten your eagle scout you'd know it was the oath of <laughs> yes. the boy scouts <laughs> but, I, but I think I, uh, I did get my eagle scout so I, I like to yeah. throw that in <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Joseph, <laughs> I think Jim Hawkins is like a, a part of the Horatio Alger model, but then thrown into a story that's a little less Horatio Alger-esque, right? Where we're getting a little more adventure. Uh, adventure mm-hmm. as, as you've already mentioned, like there's there's not just the pirates and the violence and the drinking and all those things, but he's still like, it, he's still that prototypical hero character that parents wouldn't mind giving their kids this book. And like, here, here, you can have this adventure book. Whereas if it had gone more into that cynical uh jaded darker mode it might not have been like yeah the, he's not the he's novel, not right? holding caulfield or something mm-hmm. right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what i think is interesting is it's um there might be a distinction somewhat between kind of like inner complexity uh you know you mentioned some um but at the very very beginning you know the female focused ya is what i would call it you know coming of age novels and those are often very social focused there's just a lot of like friendships you know things going on with like a big cast i feel like jim hawkins is a, a somewhat like solitary figure you know he he's really in the world on his own which to me feels very masculine it's i don't know it's just like part of the story that we tell young men it's like you have to be able to like I don't know, look out for yourself, kind of? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Just, yeah. I, I feel like that's his major conflict, is how he is going to, like, yeah, basically, like, earn a living. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that I feel like in these times where there's a lot of change very rapidly, which I would argue the late 1800s and 1900s were, I mean, think about how much was changing daily in 1996, right? You know, so many of these you know, technologies that we are just familiar to us were brand new at the time so i think then we tell like certain people like you have to be able to like cope with this sudden influx of change so i feel like if stevenson had like a a point or a you know it's not like a moralistic story but like what's the outcome of the story it's like how you how you become a man really go from childhood to adulthood so I know that really struck me in a way it didn't, I don't think, as a little kid. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, it's a very, I mean, it, it is uh, maybe one thing that I'd like to see tweaked about the Muppets, but most of their stories tend to be very male-centric because so many of the Muppeteers are men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. And so much of the Muppet sure. cast, um, you know, are, are, are men. And so Muppet Treasure Island makes a lot of sense for, for that adaptation. Like, I, I don't know what they would do uh, with the Muppet <laughs> Little Women. Or Muppet Sense and Sensibility, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and and so th- th- I, this is, you know, part of that, l- you know, late 1800s buildings roman coming of age for a young man uh, type of story that, as you said, it has um, a lot of that very like male centric um, uh, you know, I- ideas of, of like adventure is how you you transition from childhood to manhood, right? And- <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's kind of interesting how like the the achievement that he has by by the end of the story, like his reward is not like that he had a successful adventure or that he's going to be a ship's captain or that he has a career in the Navy or that he got the treasure or anything like ultimately, like he finds a very internal satisfaction where he's oh, like, wow. I, fi- I figured out who I am going to be. Right. Like the the purpose of my adventure was not to just seek adventure and gain treasure, but like to to actually figure myself out. And I think like if you are going to tell like a masculine story in a a buildings room, um, it's not that like he got everything he wanted. It's that he figured out what he wanted out of himself. And he's like, oh, no, like making the right choice at the end. Like this really was the right thing to do. And even though it means you know, I don't have all these things or, or I lost my relationship with long John silver. Like I figured something out about myself mm-hmm. and, and that's meaningful. Yeah. It yeah, feels pretty I, open-ended at the end. In a way yeah. Like uh, long John silver has the treasure sink with him on the rowboat. Like, like that the good guys aren't getting the treasure at the end of the story uh, until you watch <laughs> the credits and the rats swim down and, and scuba dive <laughs> to, to crane up the, Wait, the treasure. Chest. Is that your moral takeaway is that after gilded ages, we have MLMs and <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the, the business age. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but no, I, I even watching with my kids, I didn't remember that they don't get the treasure at the end. I thought that was really interesting to you know have that as andrew was saying like the the final takeaway for jim isn't i i found the buried treasure and i'm rich now that that's not <laughs> what happens in the story um and so uh and well uh, his his i want song is there has to be something better right mm-hmm. yeah that he's feeling trapped in you know somewhat like provincial uh environment mm-hmm. I would say. there so must be more than this provincial clear, life clearly his yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his call to adventure uh is triggered by this billy bones character the crazy alcoholic yeah pirate but but if i just think it's interesting that like it it does seem like it's a pretty intense inciting incident that's very condensed Mm -hmm. in the film compared to the book version have you read the book version so this being the kind of book that it is i started to try to read a text version but the um uh digitization was very bad i was like this this can't just be like so i feel like stevenson's using a lot of kind of period language anyway and so you have to like get a good version so instead i listened to an audio adaptation which is excellent maybe i'll send a link if you'd like but it's on um audible you know it's done for audible and so it's it's adapted from the book but yeah there, there's a lot more in terms of you know, Jim's interior life, obviously, right? Being a novel rather than a film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I um, feel like uh, there's a lot going on even before we get to 
to the island to Long John Silver, uh, which is true anytime you're adapting, right? From a novel to, to film, you have to focus more on what you can see in the film. So I think that's why they kind of accelerate to and the, kind of downplay his his own uh, interior life, right? Hmm. Um, it's it's interesting that you mentioned like his song of like I want to go on an adventure, and like <laughs> he he gets to the objective of that song like at the end of the first act, right? Adventure starts, you know, true, at the end of true. act one, and yeah. so I again like I'm kind of intrigued by like where he's at at the end. It's like okay, having had an adventure actually did satisfy me, not because I gained treasure, but became because I gained insight. It was the, is the friends we made along the way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it doesn't even seem like that because like Rizzo and Gonzo, his like his friends aren't there with him. And it doesn't seem like I'm like, I don't think he's going to be sticking around Kermit or or Sam the Eagle long term, you know, but like there was what, some sort of self-development is next for Jim Hawkins in the film. version. I have no idea. <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, he, he definitely seems to have like maintained slash strengthened his bond with his father by having, you know, gone out <laughs> on, yeah, on, the on the ocean. Right. Uh, and he like as far as relationships, he definitely seemed to have more of a relationship with Long John Silver than anyone else. And he left Long John Silver behind. So it's like you said, it's it's, it's so a, is Long I, John I, I Silver know. like aspirational masculinity. Is he talks? I mean, I think he's a great character. I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to not like him because he's he's well, and, great. <laughs> and, and, and his song about like here's all the things that you get from being part of a pirate crew right you you embrace loyalty to your crew you embrace um you know like not having uh, i mean it's kind of um it's sociologically compelling in a world where social bonds are fraying he is offering uh, you the answer he has a uh, cult and he wants you to join it (laughs) and there's like a tone that's in line i think it's pirates of penzance where they say like compared to like all the things that a respectable like quote unquote respectable person has to do to maintain respectability being a pirate's pretty clean (laughs) well it's true that you know england at this time because it is a period piece so it it says king george so we can assume 1700s it's a very class bound society i do feel like piracy is probably one of the only ways for someone from a lower class to really get liquid right get cash so (laughs) i feel like money is a huge driver of this film in a way that works really well with the muppets i feel like muppets always were more honest about class and money in a way some other children's franchises aren't and and the relationship of money with entertainment like they're very upfront (laughs) about it takes money to keep doing this everyone yeah (laughs) we can't do it without you that's uh statler and waldorf's whole thing is like as far as i understand it they're like i don't know they just like have to be there (laughs) and they don't want to be right um when i think about long john silver for this film, like I think I'm really just thinking about Tim Curry, so I can't say like it's you really can't hard think for me of him as a character. He's yeah, just it's, it's really hard for me to separate the actor from the performance in this instance, and that's not a knock on Tim Curry. Wait, it is, absolutely is like works reverse, in the world of the Muppets. Is this a reverse of like where we're like we can't separate this, uh, you know, film from the actor because they did something problematic? You're like, no, like he did such a good job. Like, that Tim I Curry's just, just so good <laughs> as being Tim Curry. That I don't see Long John Silver. I see Tim Curry. <laughs> right? I, I kind of get that. Like, I, What was your first exposure to Tim Curry as an actor? I'm trying to remember. I mean, definitely Clue was mine, one. Mine was that, surely Clue. Uh, 
Actually, I may have been exposed to him as a voice actor in Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Oh, Fern Gully, yes. He's the villain in that. Children's Entertainment. I don't think it gets more 90s than Fern Gully. I think, Andrew, you should tell the youth what Fern Gully is. And speaking of earnest 90s children's entertainment. So Fern Gully is... It's a Tumblr meme in a film form. (laughs) It is an extensive Save the Rainforest advertisement. With Robin Williams forgetting he's not playing the genie. It's before he played the genie. I think. Is it before? Or I, think it, I think it predates. Um, I will look this up. You keep describing Tim, it. I will double check the timeline. Tim here. Curry as a, 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 a black sludge smoke monster. Um, <laughs> and I think this rainforest is in Australia, weirdly. And um, they came out the same year. So I'm going to have to look up release date. They both came out, <laughs> the came out in 92. Robin Williams was doing that manic voice work in two different children's films in 1992. Um, but yeah, I think it's an Australian rainforest, which I don't think there are any Australian rainforests, but they have <laughs> there like are. Australia. Fact check in the uh, north. Oh, there, there's okay. tropical rainforest. Yeah. Well, then that's what this has got to be, because I'm pretty sure they have cassowaries in this film, um, wow. which are monstrous <laughs> Australian birds. Um, but yeah, like the, the fairies are protecting the rainforest and the rainforest is getting cut down. And so you got to protect the rainforest or evil sludge monsters from the prehistoric era will escape from the trees and uh, toxify the world. Because there was rampant man-made caused pollution in <laughs> the distant past. Was. <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, that's the best so way did, to describe so did Fern that, Gully. Did that make the toxic sludge kind of sexy? Were you like, mm, kind of on the side? Of- <laughs> he, he has a big musical number called Toxic Love. Wow. I don't remember I'm this. I'm surprised this hasn't been like and covered by a you band. Should, <laughs> you should... You should look up Toxic Love and just see what what Tim Curry is like for you in in that performance as he sings about oil and grime and acid rain um, and just all the toxic things. It's it's a treat. I'm I'm very excited. So you already had some complex feelings about (laughs) the the actor who plays. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's probably my first exposure and then Clue and then Muppet Treasure Island. I I'm trying yeah. to decide if I've seen Clue before I saw him up at Treasure Island, and I probably did. Okay. Uh, Fern Gully was April 1992. Aladdin was November 1992. But but with recording time, yeah. It, who knows? Yes, exactly. Anyway, I can't remember how we ended up here. Do you have any final thoughts on Muppet Treasure Island? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really a crossover world. You know, it, that's uh, Jim Hawkins' future is as... Uh, he joins Parliament in the House of Commons, and he's really advocating for restoring Caribbean rainforests. I, I think that's <laughs> he's just that's a good dude, and so he's yeah. going to be involved in earnest good dude things, obviously, right? Yeah, I, this is one of those films where, like, the the story is not as important. the The character motivations are not as important as just the feel of watching a Muppet movie. I think. Um, yeah, so, like, yeah. trying to break down some of the character motivations and even trying to summarize the story, it's like. I don't get like that final act that was impossible for me to summarize. That was by far my kid's favorite part of the film uh, and just that manic energy. And again, like me just sitting back and thinking like, how did they have to like think through the performance and editing and, and cinematography of all these Muppets just having chases on this Island and sword fights and everything. And I was just kind of in awe of, 
the technical side of the filmmaking. And then I like sat down to write down the story. I'm like, what exactly was going on in this? So I was like pulling up two different summaries, trying to see if anyone knew <laughs> what the actual through line of the narrative was. And it doesn't matter. It, it's the Muppets. It's great when they get that manic energy. Um, or I like my two favorite Muppets are that, that manic chaotic energy of the finale or the droll, slow repeated comedy of like the roll call where it's just, <laughs> um, you know, absurd name, long beat, reaction shot of kermit doing his face thing. <laughs> next absurd name <laughs> close up on the on the on the puppet they've created uh long beat and kermit reaction shot of like yeah if, if you like, want to call it this. casting i think they do a great job casting the pirates i don't think it struck mm-hmm. me until i rewatched it as an adult yeah just how sketchy that like they really do the pirates right right yeah you know, where it's like this this does feel like a very disreputable <laughs> crew oh, and, of criminals and you know I, and and I like that for the story and it's perfect because they have like kermit realized that he's like this is clearly <laughs> a bunch of pirates what did you guys do like and it would have been like like that is so much funnier than kermit saying yep everything checks out yes uh but but also like the story just keep going and and with the muppets like you i don't have- know if it's ableist that the reason that happens is that squire trelawney has a man that lives in his finger that doesn't <laughs> want to do but i don't know that gag worked for me. like i laugh so hard every time uh so fozzy is the one who plays squire trelawney he just like stares his finger he's like thank you mr <laughs> bimbo or whatever his name is. bimbo or bimble i'm not sure i think it was well, bimble then- but yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I, and then he admits I, that Long John really book, hired everyone. But I mean, that's that Muppet energy where it's just so out of left field that for me it worked. But um, yeah, clearly, and they're willing um, to go back to that well over and over again is another part yeah. of the Muppet energy. Well, real that's quick true. trivia: I saw Frank Oz wasn't able to uh, perform the the Muppets, but he was doing the voices, obviously, of uh, Miss Piggy and, and Fozzie. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, it was. Uh, Kevin Clash, who I believe has been canceled for very problematic reasons. Uh, but he, he was the Muppeteer who they, he listened to Frank Oz do a read through of the script and he would try and time his Muppet work to the audio of Frank Oz that he'd listen oh, wow. to. And then Frank Oz would go and rematch the voice work with that. There's a lot that goes into the Muppeteering. Yes. Andrew, do you have any final thoughts on Muppet Treasure Island? I, I've, I've, I think I've said enough about how much I enjoy this one. So <laughs> it is a good one. And it's on uh, Disney plus and it's uh, there's just th- that special manic energy that the Muppets can bring that I don't know of very many other franchises that can deliver it so consistently. Um, like I said, it's not like the story. I, I don't really care about the story. I just like, if I'm in the mood for the Muppets, I'm going to go watch the Muppets just for the feeling of watching the Muppets, whatever the story happens to be. Okay, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And Dueling Genre also hosts a Discord channel where you can follow all of the Dueling Genre podcasts and their hosts and have discussions about their episodes charlie is there anything you would like to plug you can find me on various social media platforms i'm on linkedin at charlie keeks 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah, just thank you for having me. I know this was a somewhat rambling discussion, but I'm glad that Andrew shares my love of this 70% movie that should be higher. <laughs> should be higher. And I I am so glad you reached out and said, hey, can we talk about Muppet Treasure Island? It was just an immediate yes, because I'm like, we haven't talked about the Muppets yet. Of course, I will yeah, talk yeah, about Yeah, invite Muppet me Treasure back Island. when <laughs> you want to do another Muppet episode. It sounds like we need to get Andrew to watch the original show, which is on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Rethink his, you know, prejudice. I need to see some of that. I didn't pipe in because I haven't seen all of them. I don't think I've seen the new, two of the new ones and maybe one or two of the old ones. I need to rewatch. I know I've seen the one in Central Park. I don't know if I saw the caper one. I assume that's like very... It's like just imagine 30s, about that heist 40s. film and you're pretty much there. Yeah. <laughs> You've got what's, mm-hmm. what's I, going I, I, on I and everything going wrong be, during the heist. It must be like, yeah, Great Escape or Ocean's Eleven or something. I still remember, what, I think my favorite gag is they've got to cut through some iron bars and I think it's Animal sets a jar of hot sauce on the iron bars <laughs> and just sits there and watches it and breathes heavily. Wow. <laughs> That's his way for the good. hot sauce to burn through the iron bars. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go watch Toxic Love because I have no memory of that. That's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Hold on. I had a whole thing I was ready to launch into and it's gone. Okay. Well, also make sure you're all good on your, uh, your, your spring in your microphone. Did I just bump it? You uh, you've hit it a couple times. Are you serious? I don't know if like, is your, is your headphone cable like dangling no, next to it or something? I don't know what's going on here. Okay. It's not going to happen again. Scouts promise honor, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oath. <laughs>